We're going to be in Psalm 13 today, so if you want to turn in your Bible to Psalm 13, uh, we're going to read out of that in just a moment. But before we read, I wanted to ask this question, how do you deal with pain in your life? How do you deal with pain in your life? It could be the pain of sickness or, or physical injury. It could be the pain of loss. Um, it could be the pain of rejection or conflict. How do you deal with, with the pain that happens in your life? Horatio Spafford lost nearly everything in his life. Uh, in 1871, he, his extensive real estate investments were lost to the Great Chicago Fire. Uh, so in an effort to encourage his family, he planned a vacation to Europe. Uh, in, in 1783, he's, he sent his wife, Anna, and his four daughters, Tanetta, Maggie, Annie, and Bessie. He, he had to stay back because of some business that he needed to, to finish, but he sent his family on to Europe on the SS Ville de Harve, staying behind, as I said, to finish his work. Halfway through their trek across the Atlantic, this steamboat, the SS uh, uh, Ville de Harve, was struck by an English iron sailing vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes, drowning 226 people. All four of Horatio's daughters died. His wife Anna survived and made it to England, and she sent a wire to Horatio with two words, saved alone. How do you deal with pain in your life? That's the question we're going to be considering today. Stand and let's read from the scriptures. This is from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that we experience in this life that we so easily forget, but we also remember the pain, the sorrow, the sadness of, of all of the things that cause us to pray like the psalmist, how long, God, how long will I have to endure this? How long will I have to deal with this? How long will I have to walk with this? God, I am so thankful that, that this is not a question that that frustrates you, but that you have given us your word to show us how we might come to you with our honest pain, leave it at your door, and remember your goodness. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister your encouragement, your love, your mercy to the people in this room. Lord, would you minister to us as we consider the question, how do we deal with this pain in our life? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
So the psalmist, David, is, is wrestling with this question of how do I deal with the pain that's in my life? And, and as we, we're going to see, he, he really gets to the place where he recognizes that he can trust and even worship God in the midst of his pain. The encouragement from this psalm is that you can trust and even worship God in the midst of your pain. You have three real sections here. He talks about his own struggle, and, and there's this question, how long? That's repeated four times. And then he shifts from asking the question to making a, a prayerful plea, answer me, God. And finally, there's this bold proclamation of faith in the midst of his struggle. But he begins by saying, how long? He repeats the question, and, and I, I hope you kind of felt the repetition as we were reading it. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my en- enemy be exalted over me? I mean, these are, these are raw, honest, deep questions. I mean, verse 1, will you forget me forever? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, God? What does he mean by this? Now, the Psalms aren't, they're not a theological treatise. This is not a, um, this is not a textbook section where you're just reading as prose and, and recognizing, okay, the psalmist is out of his head. He thinks that God is gone. God is not gone from his life. But there's a kind of, of relating to God that, that's missing in his life. Clearly, he still recognizes that God exists, that God, God speaks, that God answers because he is praying. Even in the act of crying out to God, he's saying, I believe. And so there's, there's a modicum of faith, there's, a, there's an itty-bitty piece of faith that he's exercising as he says, how long? But he says, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? When the Old Testament speaks of God's blessing... And his love, it uses the language of God turning his face to us, of knowing, remembering, and showing his face. In Numbers um, chapter 6, verses 23 and following, or 22 and following, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them. So, so God is giving instruction to, to Moses for Aaron to, to pronounce a godly blessing, a benediction as we do at the end of our services. And the benediction is the Lord bless you and keep you. And listen to this. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, lift up his face upon you and give you peace. When God looks upon us, it's an expression of his mercy. It's an expression of his love. It's an expression of his uh, approval of us. And so he says, how long will you hide your face from me? It seems, God, that you have turned your face from me. It seems, God, that, that the faucet of your blessings have been tur- has been turned off. And the, the faucet of your grace is no longer flowing. And I'm, I'm dry. And I'm, I'm unable to find your grace. Why have you turned your face away? He feels alienated, abandoned, and alone. And then he goes on. How long, in verse 2, must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? He's wrestling with his circumstances, trying to figure out all these things. He's, the, the counsel of his soul is, is him lying in bed and, and, and trying to think through, okay, 
here's my problem. Can I get over the obstacle of, of my issue this way? No. Can I, can I get around it this way? No. And he's, he's wrestling and, and talking to himself and, and wishing that God would speak into his circumstances. How long, God, am I going to have to talk to myself and, and try to counsel myself through this challenge, through this pain? And he's sorrowful all day long. He's looking around and, and he's seeing his enemies snickering at him. They, they can see it on, on his face, man. He's, he's going through a tough spot. You ever been there? You go to work, you're having a bad day, and your, your employers or, or your, your coworkers are looking at you, and they're kind of smiling. And it seems like they're happy that you're not happy. Not only does he feel abandoned by God, but he feels turmoil both within and without. How long? How long? How long? How long? Have you ever felt this way? If you're, if you're saying no, you're lying, or you're young. <laughs> you ever felt abandoned by God? You, you might think to yourself, no, I'm, I've never felt abandoned, but God doesn't abandon his people. I've never, you know, because you don't want to say something wrong about God. Um, two weeks ago, Shemek came, and, and one of the things I appreciated about what he said is, God knows. So even if you lie to me and the people around you and yourself, oh, man, God's, he's always with me, you know, he's, he's, he's with me where I go and I feel great. God knows even when your heart's like, I'm lying, I feel dead inside. It's okay to be honest with God. The, the, the psalmist, I mean, this is scripture, right? This is inscripturated and you don't see a section, sometimes when you see bad things in the Bible, you see a bad thing and the Bible say, hey, that was bad. And you're like, okay, I shouldn't do that because the Bible just commented on that bad thing. But we have this psalm, and you don't have God coming back and correcting that behavior. Really, he's, he's giving it as an example for how we process this pain. He's praying. He's being honest. He's praying to the God who feels, he feels distant from. He's praying to the God whose plan he, he doesn't understand. Have you ever been there? Like, you know God's good. You know he works all things for the good who, of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You've got Romans 8 on a, on a mug. You've got, you've got, you know, everything God started, he'll end on your, your walls. You know, Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his own. And you've got all of the scripture that says God is good, but everything in your life yells out, no, he's not. And I'm not saying no, he's not. But sometimes our circumstances, the world, and, and the enemy want to take those things and, and help us interpret them and say, oh, well, clearly God is not good. But he's praying. There's an ounce of faith that he's exercising. And if there's an ounce of faith in your broken situation, you can come to God, even if it just begins with the complaint, how long, O oh Lord? I mean, sometimes that's all you have in the tank. You, you're just, everything's a mess, right? You wake up, it's Monday, and I don't know how I got here. I prepared on Sunday night. I got my coffee ready. You know, I, I, I got my outfit, and, and I'm, I'm ready to be productive and, and efficient. And then Monday comes, and just four things happen, and everything's a mess. And, and all you have to say at that point is, oh, It's okay. That's okay. Just start in the direction of faith. He, he starts and he says, how long? But he doesn't stop there. 
Listen to his plea. Consider, in verse 3, and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. After he asks four times, he makes his plea with three verbs. Consider, answer, light up my eyes. If God has turned his face away from him, David is saying, please turn, turn your face back at me. The word consider means look at me. Right? You, could, you could translate it literally, look at me, God. If you're a parent, you know what the situation feels like. Right? You're in the car or you're, you're at work or you're in your office and your kid's there. Daddy, 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 daddy. And, and they'll continue to do it until you look at them. That's, that's where David is. And he's saying, daddy, look at me. He goes further. He doesn't just say, look at me. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. And, and, and when, you, when you see these names that, that David uses, don't just roll past them. You know, sometimes we, oh, Lord, my God, you know, God, you're good, El Shaddai, and, and we, they become jargon, the words that we just use to mean God. But when he says, oh, Lord, my God, he's saying, oh, Yahweh, again, and that's that name that I, I talk about often, I think, it's the name that God gave for the people of God to use, which was a way of referencing that covenant that he had made with them. You know, I don't, I'm married, and, and I call my wife sweetheart, and, and she's the only woman I call sweetheart. And that name means something specific about our relationship. When we say Yahweh, we're not just saying God. You know, you have a God, you have a God, you have a God, you have a God. No, we're saying Yahweh, the one who brought us out of, of slavery to sin and brought us into salvation and freedom. So he's saying, save me, consider me, answer me, turn your face to me. Oh, Lord, God, you promised, you promised that you would never leave nor forsake your people. You promised that, you, that if we were, would be your people, you would be our God. Oh, Lord, my God, not our God, not the God, but my God, the one to whom I have committed myself, the one to whom I have, have given my allegiance, the one whom I serve, my God, turn your face. Light up my eyes, he says. See, when God turns his face on us, uh, he shines his light on us. And, and you can see that just after service, there are like two or three babies in there. Don't be weird, but go, go up and watch that baby get seen by their mama. Right? You could have a baby, but mama comes along and be like, hey! And, and the light from mama's eyes, from her face, lights up that baby's face. When God turns his eyes to us, when he turns his face to us, it lights us up. As I said in, in, in Numbers, it says, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. David is saying, God, would you, Father, would you shine your light upon me and be gracious to me? Would you turn the faucet of your grace back on and allow your grace to flow? 
And he continues to be honest about his situation. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. This is, this is a dire situation. And family, this isn't, it doesn't seem that this is as a result of his own sin. Right? There are other psalms that, that he writes. In psalm 51, where he goes and he's honest about his sin. Psalm 51 is about uh, David's sin, his, his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And he c- repents. And so there's a, there's a request for mercy there, but it's as a result of what he's done. But here in this psalm, what's so, I, what I want to encourage you with is that there are some things in your life that are out of your control. They're not necessarily your fault, but they're still terrible. And in those moments, you can still go to God and say, God, would you help me? I'm, I'm in dire straits. He says, lest I sleep the, the sleep of death, verse 4, lest my enemies say that I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He says, Would you please help me? Would you please vindicate me? Right? When he says, Lest my enemies say dot dot dot, he's saying, Would you vindicate me before, before my enemy? They're, they're pointing and, and waving, they're, they're, they're doing this to me. They're laughing at me. Would you vindicate me? Sometimes that's where you are. You have done nothing wrong and you're surrounded with people who are getting away with terrible things and they're laughing at you and you just need God to vindicate you because there's nothing that you can do. And he's praying, God, would you vindicate me? What do you do when you're in pain? You, you pray. You pray. But that's not all you do. Look at verses five and six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. If this, if this psalm was a door, this is the hinge. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I have trusted in your steadfast love. David moves from a desperate question to a prayerful plea and now to a bold proclamation of faith. When we face painful situations in life, you can, you, can, you can fall into one of two ditches. The first ditch is to pretend like you're not in that situation. Everything's okay. It's fine. Even lie to yourself, it's not going to be that bad. Until at some point things get so bad that you just <clears throat> get crushed like a can that's just got more and more weight until finally it's like... <clears throat> right? That's the first pitfall. David's been very honest about his situation and his circumstances, so that's not where he's going. The second pitfall is to allow the trouble of your life to so eclipse God that you forget that God loves you. Right? The first one is to pretend like nothing's wrong. The second one is to so focus on what's wrong that you lose sight of the God who's in your life. Things are so hard, God, and you begin to question the goodness of God, and and. The danger is, is your situation could be pretty bad, right? If we're being honest, it might be terrible. It might be a cancer diagnosis. It might be a, a wayward child. It might be a circumstance at work that, that could leave you without a job. And the lie is, if I am honest about this, then I, then I can't trust God. But there's a way to hold these things in tension where you're honest about how much this is stressful and anxious and, and, and out of your control and also say, but I'm, I'm trusting in your steadfast love. 
David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. That word can be translated as loving kindness. You might have grown up hearing it as loving kindness, unfailing love, mercy. But whatever the translation, the idea is that God has a love for his people that is committed to them and is committed to fulfilling his promises to them. This, this is covenantal love. It's, it's not just interest or mere um, affection, right? Oh, I, I love him. He's awesome. He's a nice guy. You know, I, I love her. She's so, she, she brings cookies to the party. She's great. It's not, it's not just affinity like, like you and God have something in common like, like golfing or scrapbooking. And this is not just like, well, you know, we're, we're bros, no, there, there's, a, there's a commitment here. It's not just affection and emotion. It's, it, it is that, but it's more than that. It's a commitment that says, I'm going to be faithful to you and, and to my love for you and my promises to you regardless of you. Right? This is a good thing because we, we need a God who will love us unconditionally because if he loved us conditionally, he wouldn't love us. David has trusted that God loves him in, in that way. And all of his pain and suffering becomes bearable because he remembers that God loves him in an unconditional, not forsaking, forever kind of way. Family, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to look you in the eyes and say that God loves you with an unfair, unfailing, never forgetting, never letting go kind of way. Nothing that you have done or are doing or will do will change that. Again, as parents, we, we, we get an, an ounce of what this might feel like because our kids are amazing, but sometimes they do things and you're like, and you don't have the words to express the, the deep emotions that you feel about how they should have done something differently. Or, or maybe as a child, maybe you aren't a parent, but you're a kid or you're a person who was a kid and you remember those expressions that your parents had and the, the, the struggles that they had, but there was a sense that, that you were still in the family. When we're in God's family, he, he calls us his own and, and that name is, is, is not revocable. So the rest of the verses... The rest of verses 5 and 6, they, they are in light of this fact. I have trust in your steadfast love. You could say, therefore, my heart shall re rejoice in your salvation. In other words, David can worship God knowing that God who loves him is the God who will save him and will shine his face upon him and will not forsake him. He goes and he says, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. God's been rich in his mercy rich in his love, rich in his kindness. His circumstances may not commend praise, but God's goodness does. Let me say that again. Your circumstances may not commend praise, but God's goodness does. God's goodness doesn't change. It hasn't changed. Right? This is why people make the distinction between happiness and joy. Right? And, and sometimes they almost make it kind of mystical. But the point is, like, happiness is when you're happy because of your circumstances. Joy is when you're happy because of your circumstances in eternity. And, and when we recognize, when we set our face on God and remember that, hey, he has done some things, and, and I'm going to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. I may not be experiencing it now, but I know I'm going to. That's when he can worship. That's when we can worship.
And if that's true of David, how much more is it true of us? If you're a Christian in this room, let me assure you, God has shown you his love. God has shown you his... Don't you forget it, family. The world wants you to forget. The world wants you to say, look at your problems. See, God doesn't love you. The scripture would say, look at your problems and then see that God loves you. 1 John 4.10 says this. In this is love. Right? John's like, let me help you. You want to know what love is? This is love. Not that we've loved God, not, not some sort of way that you've shown love, but no, God has defined love for us, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that Jesus on the cross, he took God's anger and he, he was treated with the anger that God had so that God might now treat us with good kindness and love. He made God agreeable toward us. See, God's love has been expressed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you wake up and you're like, I just wish God would, ugh, I want to feel God's love. And I'm there with you. Sometimes you just, wanna, you, want, you just want a dad to come and put his arm around you and just be like, I'm proud of you, son, or I'm, I'm pr- I love you, daughter, you're beautiful. And, and you say, God, why couldn't you do that? Could you just do that? And God says, I've given my son. And Jesus said, I've shed my blood. And he invites you to remember. God has shown you his love. And if you're in this room and you've never experienced that love, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, today is the day to look at Jesus and understand that his dying on the cross for your sins, his rising again, defeating Satan's sin and death, and his, his offer of coming, if you would just turn away from your sin, turn away from your disobedience and trust me, that is God saying, I love you. Trust God when you're in pain. Trust God and trust his steadfast love shown most clearly in the death and resurrection of his son. So how do we deal with pain? Horatio Spafford did join his grieving wife in Cardiff, Wales. On his journey across the Atlantic, he passed by the place where his daughters had perished. Can you imagine? You know, he asked the captain, okay, can you help me? Can you show me where it's at? And, and you guys are, I mean, it's the middle of the Atlantic. Atlantic. There's nothing. And, and what all you know is your daughters are somewhere down. And, uh, and as he was there, he penned one of the most famous hymns that, if you've listened to hym- hymnody, has, has been known. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, whatever, whatever I get, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. Christ has looked upon your estate. He's looked upon your life. He's seen how you're incapable of saving yourself. And he has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. And then he says, oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like the scroll, and the trump shall resound, and the Lord will descend, 
Even so, even if he tarries, even if he waits, it is well with my soul. The psalmist invites us to worship in the waiting. You're waiting, family. Some of you have been waiting for a long time. Some of you may wait until you see the Lord. But while you're waiting, you can worship because he has shown his steadfast love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your steadfast love to us. I thank you that you have shown us your love in Jesus Christ. And I thank you that we can grab hold of it and trust you. At the same time, God, I recognize that there are people in this room who are struggling with, with health diagnoses, with, with uh, family members who are prodigal, with broken marriages, with struggles at work, with internal challenges in their own hearts and souls. There are so many things that, that buffet us, that, that come against us both inside our hearts and around us. I recognize that, God, and I, I, I'm asking for you to move. Lord, I'm asking for healing for those who need healing. I'm asking for reconciliation for those who need reconciliation. I'm, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, for you to move in power and do what only you can do. God, bring restoration, bring life, bring holiness, bring salvation to bear in the lives of these people. And at the same time, God, I'm praying that you would give us a sense of your presence and of your love that extends into eternity, that gives us hope for tomorrow, that strengthens our knees and allows us to be courageous in the face of pain. God, minister to this people. I pray that we would be deeply rooted in your love, that we'd become people who are deeply honest with you and at the same time deeply dependent upon you. I pray these all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you, family.